I want to welcome you today to week two of our Adventures with God series. My name's Anne. If you're new with us this morning, I'm one of the pastors here at Evergreen. And I'm excited because this whole series is about connecting with God wherever you're at and whatever you're doing. We look across the summer in the Northwest and it's out there. You're camping, you're fishing, you're going to the beach, going all over the place. And and something that we don't want to do while we detach from schedule and routines of the school year is we don't want to detach from God. We want to really stay connected to him no matter what we're getting to do, no matter what the special thing is that's going on in our lives and the difference in schedule. So some of you may have missed the first in the series that happened last weekend over July 4th. I hope, by the way, that you had just an awesome time, whatever you got to do. And if you'd like to, I recommend that you go on the podcast and listen to it because Jared introduced this whole series with this wonderful guilt uh, elimination plan, okay? Uh, most of us feel less than adequate about connecting with God. And he was just quoting some of the surveys on that. And then he was talking to us about nine different pathways or ways that people tend to connect with God based on who they are, who God's wired them to be, how he's made them, how he's put us together. And it was really a freeing thing to listen to. And this last week, I had a friend, and she prayed one that sounded just like the naturalist. And if you want to know more about that, listen to the podcast. But here's what she said. She said, major standing ovation for the incredible sunset tonight, God. That's a naturalist in prayer. Today, we're going to talk about, this is just one in a series of several on prayer, and I want to talk about that little phrase, pray about it. How many of you have heard that said to you? Pray about it. Yeah. And some of us have said it to others. Now, you might have heard those words when somebody was giving you an opportunity to consider, right? Something to say yes or no to. You might have heard it on the heels of pouring out your heart to somebody. You know, something that you were hoping for, some encouragement or, or something about. And they said, you really need to pray about that. I'd like you to think for a minute with me. Pause in your mind and go back to whatever your first conversation with God was about. Do you remember that? What did you talk about with him? Remember anything of what you said? See, I distinctly remember my first conversation with God. I said, God, I know you're there. I know you can help. Help my family. Prayer is all about relationship. And that's what happened for me when I started that conversation. Now, Conversations with God can start all different ways. Mine was this earnest plea of a nine-year-old, right? But maybe your relationship with God started with a question. You had doubts. You didn't understand something. Maybe it started with a complaint. Just like the complaint boxes you find at New Seasons. Maybe you posted one to God. Maybe it started with your own request like mine. Maybe it was an angry rant, though. Maybe you were got, uh, mad at whoever God is supposed to be. He wasn't measuring up to what you thought. Maybe it started with a humble cry. Maybe it was just a simple thanks in a moment of recognizing that somebody bigger than you was at work in your situation. 
Maybe your first conversation, your beginning of your relationship started with this gushing expression of love as you realized for the first time who he really was and how much he loved you. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're sitting out there and you're one of those people who's unsure right now. Maybe you're angry at whatever notion of God somebody has proposed to you. It's not measuring up against your world. I don't know where you find yourself today, but I want you to know that wherever you're at, you can come to God. You can start the conversation with an angry rant, which is just as welcomed by God as a question, a doubt, a thing that we don't understand, as a humble cry. It all counts to him, and he wants it all, because pray about it is an invitation to a conversation with God about the stuff that really matters to us. So I asked the question, so what are we supposed to talk about? What are some things that really matter to him and to us? Now, Jesus had a lot to say about prayer, but so did a lot of other Bible writers, right? And in the New Testament, Paul talks a lot about prayer. But we're not going to look at what Paul said. We're going to narrow our focus today. Jesus on prayer and Jesus in prayer about what to pray for. That prayer list that some of you achievers like, that you check off the box as you do it. Well, this would be on Jesus' prayer list. And in Jesus talking about prayer, he did it through teachings, he did it through dialogue in small groups, he did it through modeling, and he did it through parables or stories. And, and he also did it through this wonderful example he gave us, the Lord's Prayer. And next week, Jared will be talking about that. So I'm going to leave that with him. We're going to address the other specifics that Jesus actually mentions when he says, pray about it to his followers. And the big idea today that's going to challenge every single one of us, I think, is that Jesus said that we can pray for anything that's on our hearts and minds, anything we wish. And right about now, I can hear the Disney music playing. When you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are, right? That's what some of you are thinking. No, 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 no. It's a little something different, but it's just as inclusive. Would you listen and follow along as I read God's word today about his pray about it list? And would you just soak it in? It's his eternal word. It's his word that he says is flawless. It's his word that he said he's unfailing and fulfilling. He cannot lie. It's not in him to lie. It's absolute truth. I hope you'll just sink in these four verses. And on the last verse that I read, after I read it, I'm going to invite you to say it aloud with me. Here's what he says in Matthew 21, verse 22. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. In Mark 11, 24, he says this. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And then again in John 14, verses 13 and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And then in John 15, this fourth one, and there could have been more. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Would you say this one with me? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Wow. Wow. 
What are the two words? Did you catch them that are repeated over and over again in just these four verses of what could have been many? Whatever and anything. So did Jesus really mean this? Or was this just an example of hyperbole? a communication device that even people in Jesus' day used, and we certainly use as well. Think about it with me. It's a favorite mom hyperbole. I've told you a million times. Now, pretty soon, kids are going to be getting out their cell phone calculators and tallying you up, moms. You're going to be counted on that. Or how about this Oregonian one? It's raining cats and dogs outside. Or, no, we'd probably say Oregon mist, so... Or this one that families everywhere have said when dinner was late, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. You know, we exaggerate so that we can make a point, but there's limits to it. But I want to give you the good news this morning. Jesus wasn't exaggerating. He really meant it. He meant anything. And I think to get my head and to get your heads around that, we kind of have to be like a kid today. Like one of our surge kids in first through fourth grade, they wrote these wonderful words. They said, dear Jesus, you are smart, you are strong, and you are big. And you have to believe that in order to come to him with anything, don't you? You have to know that. Jesus has the power to back up his promises, his invitations to us to pray about anything. But that's not really the big deal about anything this morning, you guys. The big deal is this. The big deal is that Jesus wants us to have an honest relationship with him. Anything. He wants us to talk about what's on our hearts, what's on our minds, what's worrying us, what's bugging us, what's irritating us, what's frustrating us, what's hurting us, what's pressing against our souls. He wants to hear it all. What's bringing you joy? What's causing you to celebrate Being honest. That's what he wants us to do. Marley portrayed it so well when she shared with us her frustration and her words with her family and how God met her while he was at. He wanted her to come with that. He wants us to come with that. I think kids are amazing at this and coming to their parents and grandparents. They kind of show us the way about being real. Okay, in just one conversation with my granddaughter, Katie, who's been here for a couple of days Here's a few of the things that I heard about. She told me about the unicorn toy that she wanted and she got. And she told me about the real unicorn that she wants and hasn't gotten yet. And she told me about the American Girl doll Isabel that she would like someday. And what kind of outfit, a white tutu, that she's going to be wearing. And then she told me that she was afraid of bees. This is how kids are. It's stream of consciousness. It's what they're feeling in the moment, and they're not afraid to tell you about it. She didn't sit there and go, I can't tell Grandma I'm afraid of bees. But sometimes we're afraid to tell God everything, anything. So I asked the question, what did anything look like for Jesus when he was praying? What did that mean in his life and in his prayer life? And like most of us, Jesus prayed about difficulties and problems that came his way. And so where we see it really intensified is when he's nearing the cross, where he's going to take on all of our sins, the collective sins of the world on himself and die in our place. And it's, the record is there for us in Matthew 26. You can look at it later. And Jesus really begins to pray to his father. And he says, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. 
Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he comes back a second time at it. And he says, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not my will, but as you will. And then he goes and checks out his three prayer partners he brought with him. And they're asleep. So he has a little conversation with them. And he goes back at it a third time. Says, so he left them and went away once more. And he prayed the third time, saying the very same thing. And then... While he was hanging on the cross in the middle of his worst moments on earth, he cries out, and at least seven of his cries on the cross were prayers, were calling out to his father. And the first one was extending forgiveness to the people who were doing this to him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And the second one was his own question for God. When he said this to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that moment when the sins of the world, including ours and everybody future and past tense, were laid on him and he was absolutely cut off from his father, something he'd never experienced in his life before. And he didn't go, oh, I can't say this to my father. I better not say this out loud. No, he said it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't afraid to pray about anything. And then his third one, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This wonderful prayer of surrender. Now, those were some tough times, and and we pray at those kinds of times. That's part of the anything that Jesus wants us to pray about. But there's also those times where you just need to know what to do, right? You're really wanting to go God's direction. And Jesus was no different than us. You know, it says that he didn't live this life by any power except that which we have, the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't use all his rights and privileges as son of God, the heavenly piece of that. He lived it the way we did. And we don't know the specifics of the night before he picked his disciples. We don't know all the little things he prayed about. We know that he spent the whole night in prayer. But if I really believe Jesus' words in John's gospel, where he said, I only say what I hear the Father saying, I only do what I see the Father doing, then I can surmise that a part of that all-night prayer meeting was, okay, Father, show me which of these is to be on my team. Would you lead me? Would you give me wisdom? And he came down off that mountain and he picked his 12. You see, Jesus, just like us, he looked to his father for wisdom and direction and what to say in all these amazing situations he ended up in. I think about some of his frustrations too. Let's just think about the last supper on the night that he was betrayed. He had this final supper with his team. And we remember that Jared brought this up a week ago and What happened? It degenerated into which one of them was the greatest, right? Quite a conversation. I can imagine what his prayer looked like that night. Oh, God. These guys are driving me crazy. Would you help them get it, Father? Would you show them what this kingdom's really about? It's about the least, about being the servant of all, not the greatest. I can imagine when he was looking out over Jerusalem, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who stones his prophets and kills those that are sent to you. How I wished like a hen to gather you like a bunch of chicks, but you would not receive me. I imagine him in prayer that night just saying, oh God, I wish your people could see. I wish they could see who I really am. Now, Jesus also prayed for other people's needs. And in fact, of his About a dozen prayers recorded in the Gospels, 
Most of them were for others' needs, not his own. Children were brought to him and he prayed and blessed them. And people came to Lazarus, his, one of his close friends, who he was going to raise from the dead. And Jesus prayed for them because he wanted them to see who he really was and how big God was and how he was able to raise from the dead and how he was who he said he was. And he prayed for his pal, Peter, before he denied him. He said, I've prayed for you. You're going to deny me three times, but afterwards you're going to turn and come back. He prayed for his team before he was betrayed, and he prayed for all of us, past, present, and future. You can read about it in John 17. I don't know about you, but I have stuff on my mind and heart every day. I have dreams. I have desires. I have delusions as well. I have dreams and fears, and you do too. Pray about it. That's God's standing invitation. Come and talk with me. So I was growing up, uh, I was attending University of Oregon. I was living in a house uh, where the father in the house, his name was Noel. And he had this wonderful thing. He says, if you can pray about it now, do it now. Don't put it off. Pray in the moment. And he really worked with us on that and encouraged us toward that. And that was a wonderful habit to build. And I had so many opportunities. Even this past week, I thought about just the ones I had. You see, one of the people here in the e-community, they got a phone call And their mom had just went into respiratory and cardiac arrest, and she's not very old. It wasn't expected at all. She died the next morning. I got to pray for her and her two sisters and that extended family. There's another family, a couple families here, and their dad had to have a heart surgery, and they really wanted the doctors to have skill and wisdom because there were some tricky things they weren't sure of when they went into the surgery. And they asked us to pray that way, and we began to do that. And I prayed for someone co- someone's co-worker's baby who had uh, suffocated in his crib blankets and was on life support, went to be with Jesus. I prayed for Anita and Ray Campos, our facilities director, and his wife. Her dad passed away a week and a half ago, and they're down there having the memorial service, being with family. I prayed for my brother-in-law in Iraq. I was sent there two weeks ago. He's a commander of a unit. My sister said it's the first time that she's heard in all his deployments, he's a career man, she could hear that he was scared because it's a very unsupported venture out there. And I prayed for my grandkids, um, which I do, but this week I was reading Psalm 102 and I was thinking about Noel's words, pray now, don't put it off. And it says, the children of your people will live in security, their children's children will thrive in your presence. And I said, let it be, Lord Jesus, let it be. Katie, Julia, Christina, and Jacob, and any children yet to be born. And since my kids are here, I got you covered. (laughs) May they thrive in your presence. May they love you all the days of their life. May they find joy and purpose in you. May they follow you wholeheartedly and experience your goodness inside out. And then I got to pray for our church planter, Grant, who called me and said, hey, Ann, that job that I thought I was going to get at the Y, it fell through. First test of faith in this new little church plant. Would you pray, he said? Of course. We pray for the right job. That There's a new one waiting there for him. I prayed for a friend who had a rough week, and I prayed for a friend from our college days who lost his wife a couple weeks ago, leaving him to with his kids 18, 19, and 21. And then I prayed for Evergreen. Yesterday I came down uh, because our household was very busy this weekend and 
came in here to just put a wrap and practice on a message, and I was walking across the auditorium. I was going, these are our people. And I began to pray for Evergreen, and this is how I've been praying, that we would be a group of people who would inquire and yearn for Jesus, that we would be all out in our love for him, that we would set aside distractions and make them subservient to following Jesus, that sports and leisure and the affluence that has given us so many options would not get in the way of the mission God has us all on. And that mission isn't just about going to church. That mission is about being the church, whatever we're doing. I don't want to lose sight of that. And just praying that our hearts would seek God's kingdom first, that we'd be salt and light in our neighborhoods and schools, that we'd open wide our hearts to people that are different than us and love them in Jesus' name. You can pray about anything. Anything. He said, ask me about anything, whatever. The second thing Jesus had on his pray about it list was pray for your enemies. Okay, how many of you saw that coming? I want to know how many of you have this on your prayer list. Yeah, or in your mind, that mental list. Let's look at what Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 28. He said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. In Matthew 5, verse 44, he said it this way. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Maybe this one surprised you, but maybe you're like the, hey, yeah, I'm cool with that. I'm doing that. I'm praying. I'd like to see what some of your prayers for your enemies are. Just curious. But one of King David's most common prayers, you find it repeatedly through the Psalms, is praying to be delivered from his enemies. And that's not a bad prayer. That's a, that's a great prayer. But I want to tell you that Jesus always raises the bar. And he raised the bar beyond just, get me out of this, God. Let me escape this. Deliver me from this. He raised the bar and he said, you're supposed to love your enemies and do good to them. And bless those who curse you. And do good to those who hate you. Wow. That might change my requests a little bit that I've been giving toward my enemies. Now, this might add some things like, Lord, would you show me how to love this person? Because I'm obviously going to need a little help. And Lord, would you show me what you're up to with him or her so that I can join you in that? And I want you to know that this kind of enemy prayer, if you will, it covers even the most mundane irritant. Most of us don't run around with a walking list of enemies, right? But we all have people who frustrate us, who irritate us, who get to us. So it might be something as mundane as the uh, paper person who keeps throwing the paper on my two flower pots. I come out on various mornings to find big chunks of it on the ground. Okay, my first thing was not a prayer for them. Just saying. I confess I did. I called him a jerk. The minute I did that, God said, that's not a blessing. That's a curse. You need to change your ways with that. Pray a little bit differently. That's a kind of a mundane one, right? But we have other people that might get under our skin a bit more. This last weekend, we had the Hillsborough 4th of July parade. And afterwards, I went over to New Seasons Market to pick up a couple of things for a family barbecue. And I had two clerks. One was checking me out. And the other clerk, uh, who I have 
developed a relationship with because to me, these are all people waiting to find Jesus, right? And there she is. She's standing there and she's talking to him and she's telling him her version of the parade. And her version of the parade was there was a whole bunch of those church floats in there and she was complaining about that and that there were political floats. Those were the two things. And she made it sound as though it was just filled with church floats and I had counted five or six. And so I just, it got under my skin, got under my skin. And so what I told her was, and I thought about it for a moment, but I spoke up and I said, I just felt like if they could squash Christians out of the parade, they would have. So I just had to say something. I said, you know, I think you've overstated it a bit. I said, I only counted five or six churches and they were kind of the extremes. There was the, if you don't accept Christ, you're going to sizzle in hell like a sausage, literally. And then over here on this side, there was the, the church floats that were on the enthusiast side of life, as Jared shared about last week. They were dancing and singing and not necessarily something that every person would connect with God about, right? So I said, I know that some of them were on the two extremes. I said, but, you know, I said, anyone can put a float in the parade, kind of implying. So if you want your viewpoint out there, why don't you get it in there? You know? <laughs> okay, I'm just... You know, it's all confession here. <laughs> so I, um, uh, that was my final words, by the way. And I walked out with my groceries and I'm about halfway across the parking lot and all the way the first half of the parking lot. What I am doing is I'm reciting how I'm just, I told God, I'm just sick of it, God. I'm sick of people putting Christians down and acting like we don't have a, a place in the conversation. That really irritates me. You know, so I'm just telling him about this. And he said, uh, Anne, did you think of asking her what bugged her about the Christian floats? No, God. He was making me mad. So I spent the first path concerned with the rightness, right? My rightness and her out to lunchness. And about halfway across the parking lot, he got through to me. Now, this is somebody who obviously is on their way to me. Because when people push against Christian anything or church anything, there's always a story. There's always something. God's up to something. They have their own rant, either against God or against people who said they loved God. He's up to something in her life, and I began to pray for her. Jesus lived this out in the most dramatic way, much more dramatic than our New Seasons conversation. Because as I mentioned earlier, he hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So my question for us today is, who's disappointed you? Who's frustrated you? Who's irritated the heck out of you? Okay, maybe heck wasn't the right word there. Who's, who's really irritated you? Who's bugging you? Who's hurt you or caused you pain in some way? Because even as I've been talking today, somebody's come to your mind when you saw pray about your enemies. Pray for your enemies. And I want to encourage you. God is speaking to you about praying for them and challenging you to go beyond the deliver me from them kind of prayer that David had. That brings us to the third thing on God's pray about it list. Pray for workers for the harvest. I know this has been on the top of some of your list as well, right? Pray for workers for the harvest. Matthew 9, verse 38 says this, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out, thrust out workers into his harvest field. In Luke 10, verse 2, he said it this way. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to thrust workers or send out workers into his harvest field. 
So what did Jesus mean here? He uses this wonderful metaphor of the harvest to refer to people who don't yet have a relationship with him, but they're just waiting. They're waiting to be told. They're waiting to find him. They're on their way to Jesus. They're at some step toward him, and he knows who they are, and they're in your world today. They're in your spheres of influence. They're in my spheres of influence. So the grass seed industry, which is a big one here in Oregon and in Washington County, um, it's got a very important timing to the harvest. And you bring it in the end of June and the first couple weeks of July. And if you miss that because of weather and other things, you can lose a whole crop or damage it so substantially that it's not worth much. And Jesus understood the law of the harvest. He understood there's a timing involved in each person coming to Christ and he knows what it is and at any given moment in each one of our spheres there's somebody who's ready who's waiting and he knew that the limited resource was always going to be people people willing to live a missional life willing to whatever you're doing share the good news of forgiveness and grace and love in Jesus Christ with other people so a couple weeks ago we sent Grant and Marta And we had said they were an answer to prayer, these church planters in Walla Walla. And Jared and I were an answer to prayer. In fact, in our dining room, we have this picture on the wall, and it's a little bit bigger than this. It's a fairly large piece of art, and it's totally intentional on our part. We love it because it reminds us that we're to pray for workers in the harvest and that we're to be a worker in the harvest. Even one person makes a difference. And that's our little reminder about this prayer. Right now, down the E-Kids hallway, there are people that are, there are kids that are an answer to that prayer. On Wednesday nights here, there's kids, students that are answer to that prayer. Right now, sitting here are people who are answered to that prayer. And you can be an answer to that prayer. It's your decision. It's your decision. And you can be the person who prays for that. So that it's not just us, but we're a exponentially deployed workforce for Jesus Christ. That's our mission from God. That's what this world is all about, is helping people know him and love him and turn their lives over to him and experience an eternal destiny with him. That's our mission, and that's on Jesus' pray about it list. And I want it on my pray about it list. And that brings us to the fourth one. Pray for Jesus' return. I don't know how many of you have had this on your list, but we're actually encouraged to pray about this. Did you know that today could be the day? Today might be the day. Jesus is having a talk with his disciples, and they asked him about this, about when it was going to happen. And he told them, well, there's going to be these difficult events, and they're going to happen worldwide, and then I'm going to return. And here's what he said to them in Luke 21, verses 34 through 36. He said, be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For It's going to come on the whole face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen and you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Most scholars agree that what he's referring to in the second half of those verses is he's referring to that being watchful, alert, prayerful as we think about his return, reminding ourselves that the time is short, that eternity is nearer than we even imagine it to be. In 1 Corinthians 
16.22, there's this wonderful saying. It's actually two Aramaic words. Instead of a run-on sentence, it's a run-on word. It's two Aramaic words put together into one word, Maranatha. Any of you remember that word? There was two decades in U.S. and actually world culture where that word was on the tip of people's tongues. And did you know that in the first century church, this was a common greeting? It was almost like a password, a code word. In the midst of their persecution, they would know you were for real. Maranatha, come Lord. Maranatha, come Lord. They'd whisper that to one another. Now, I don't know what happens for you when you hear Maranatha, or Lord, come. But I know what happens for me. You see, it reminds me that the time is short. And the first thing that I start thinking about is the people that I want to come to know Jesus, the people that I want to get to spend eternity with. And I would that the whole world would be there, that every person would give their lives to Christ. But I think about the specific ones that I'm praying for. And I, this past year, I had three people on my love list come to faith in Christ. Most of them have been on the list for a number of years. And that gives me hope for the one on my list who's been there the longest, 40 years. My best friend growing up in high school. But I thought about, when I think about Maranatha and the Lord coming, it makes you think about the time short, and I don't want to waste it. I want to make the most of every opportunity. So you remember that backpacking trip that Jared and I took a year or so ago? And uh, we went with my brother-in-law, and my brother-in-law didn't know Jesus. And the Lord told us, do something that he's the expert at and continue to build that relationship. We'd done Oregon Duck Games, but this backpacking trip is something they'd been looking for a partner. So we went with them, and we spent six days together and had lots of wonderful conversations. And did you know that my brother-in-law came to faith in Jesus Christ? Yeah, and he is taking a class, a new believers class, meeting with his pastor, reading through the one-year Bible. Oh, sure, he's my blustery, wonderful, uh, competitive Dave that I've always loved. Oregon Ducks, trash talker, you name it. He's still those things, but he knows Jesus. And so the first thing I think about when I hear Maranatha is I think about the next person on my list. I think about the ones who haven't come yet. And it reminds me, the time is short. I want to make sure I do everything. I want to make sure I'm listening to God about sharing his grace and his love with him. I want to make sure if there's another person I need to do some other crazy adventure with, that we do it. I'd like you to say that with me, if you would, as our own prayer. Would you say, Maranatha, Lord, come Maranatha, Lord, come.